campus. You're in our Myerstown campus. Good morning to you. You're joining us online. Gather around your comfy clothes. Uh, we uh, are just here under one name of Jesus that we've been talking about. We are worshiping him. And now we come to God and his word and we're uh, praying today that we will learn and be able to apply God's word. For those who uh, I haven't met, my name is Pastor Jared. I see new faces even coming in the doors. We're hearing of new people connecting online. Those of you new at Myerstown, I'll be up there next week, so I'll be able to see you up there next week as well. And uh, uh, just a little background on me, I serve here as the pastor over our mission kids, mission students, and uh, helping get our discipleship classes going. And uh, it has been a real blessing. I'm starting year 10 here. That sounds crazy. I know. So I just, uh, I get a little emotional because I see uh, a few of the faces that have been with me through the journey. If, uh, if you know me, I was, I was here even seven years before I was on staff, um, sitting in these seats, not having a care in the world on a Sunday morning, and yet here I am. So, um, but, uh, so thank you to, to you. And, um, and, and as we get into the Beatitudes today, you can start heading to, to Matthew 5. And uh, I'm uh, privileged to be able to, to speak uh, on this uh, passage of the Beatitudes, you know, I'm grateful for the opportunity that uh, Pastor Jerry and the elders have afforded me uh, to be here. Um, you know, as I thought about the, the passage today, um, uh, if, you, if you zone out the rest of the message, you're going to get just a quick application here. It's, it's going to be about, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And um, when I think about that, um, I'm just so thankful for, that we have a senior pastor like Pastor Jerry uh, that is somebody, uh, when we talk about putting sermon series together, um, unless he's got this gift of seeing the future, which I haven't seen yet, um, but somebody who has uh, stayed in touch with the Lord regularly through the ups and downs of what's going on in the world, uh, to be able to um, put together sermon series after sermon series, uh, just trusting the Lord, and then each week coming to it and saying like, guys, I promise I didn't strategically try this, you know. I'm not the one responsible for what's going on in the world, but we are responding to it, and God is good in that way, and we're so thankful for a leader like Pastor Jerry, and so thankful for our elders as well as they continue to navigate a season uh, that, uh, that no textbook uh, could tell you how to navigate at this point. So, um, but as we uh, get into this, let me pray for our morning, and then we'll get going into God's Word. And Father, we come before you, just humbled that you would... Uh, choose us, God, to be able to have your message go forth. God, let this message, let our worship uh, just be from the inside, God, and be an overflow into you, into just our overflow into um, how we pray to you, God, how we look at your word, God, that we don't do it selfishly, but that we do it as a worship to you. And God, even as we leave this room, that we navigate the relationships that we have and the decisions that we have to make from an overflow of what you've put into our heart, God. And so I pray that even today that the Holy Spirit is at work in each of our hearts, my heart as well, God. 
and so that we can draw closer to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of my roles as um, uh, working with the, the next generation, as we like to call it, is uh, I work with families a lot of times. I love working with parents and families. I have three kids of my own and am navigating this season as well. And one of the most, uh, shall we say, uh, common themes in this role is, can you help my kids behave better? Right, you know, like, like if snap my fingers and the kids are behaving better. But, um, you know, I, I know that, that that's a value to us, that we want to look good on the outside, not just for the sake of just looking good and scoring points, but, you know, to function in society well. We all want that. And, and as parents, uh, we want to uh, be able to, to know how to have the proper behavior. I'm always getting questions like, you know, they're, they're, they're angels in school, but at home, the devil horns come out, right? Or, or vice versa, you know, they're, they're great at home and the, they're getting reports from the teacher and they're confused by this. How, how uh, you know, always talking about behaviors on when they get their first cell phone or their driver's license, generally those conversations come up. You know, we all want to behave well, and especially as parents or as us as well, we don't want to just behave well in the temporary. We want it to be a long-term fix, a long-term just practice. And, you know, living as a Christian is about the heart. It's, It's not merely just the behavior. And um, in, in some ways, uh, we get the idea that we, we know that it should come from the heart, and we would love to be motivated from the heart, but the behavior is just so much more enticing, right? Like, so many times, think about the decisions that we make, that so many decisions we make are to get rewards, or maybe it's to avoid a consequence. And again, we're not even just talking on the legal level. This could just be fitting in in society. And so we say, I, I think I know what's right, but you know what? The, the immediate reward and consequence is going to outweigh what I really should do. But the Beatitudes are not merely about just living right. It's about getting our, our heart right. And, and Jesus was well aware of this, that he knew what the, the audience he was dealing with. And through this series, we've been talking about Jesus in one of his uh, most famous sermons where he laid it all out there for him. And it doesn't just stop in these Matthew 5 passages. You can keep reading for the next couple chapters. And Jesus has drawn his disciples and a few others away from the crowd because he really, really needs to communicate the heart of his message. Uh, they've sought him for teaching, and uh, he's teaching them how to live as a citizen in his coming spiritual kingdom. So he uses the word blessed. The, the Greek word makarios, uh, this idea that um, you can have divine joy and inner satisfaction. You know, sometimes people think that Christians, uh, uh, that God didn't design Christians to live a, a happy life, that were, that were serious and somber. And in some ways, there's truth to that. But it's not even about uh, happiness It's about an inner joy, an inner peace that Christ can bring. John 10.10 says that he didn't just come to give life, but he came to give abundant life. An overflowing life is what Jesus came for. And so if you really want the secret of happiness, as we've been talking about over the last few weeks, Jesus is uh, clearing the way for this. And have you seen Jesus talking about the heart, what he's trying to communicate through the many different passages? Uh, it, it may not be how the world defines it because he's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Really, those, those are, blessed are those who mourn? That's right, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed, makarios, an inner peace, an inner joy for those who are meek, 
for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And last week, Pastor Ed just preached a message that was needed for my soul. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And we come to our passage today, Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, the first thing that stands out to me in that is that God wants to be seen. God wants to be known. He wants to be seen. He's not some mysterious figure that's out there that, that can't be uh, deciphered. While we may not get our heads wrapped around all of who God is, God wants to be known and seen. In fact, Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so do you see God? Or maybe he's just a, a little blurry for you right now and you're, not, and you're not sure, but the main idea of today's message is that God and his work can be seen through a heart that has been purified by him. And so we're gonna look at three things. How does God define what a pure heart is? Because the world's definition is gonna be very different how do we have a pure heart? And then how do we see God through this pure heart? So let's get into this. Uh, if, you, uh, if you are a note taker, you'll see in your digital sermon notes that uh, that's a nice uh, little resource that we have as well for you uh, to be able to utilize. Well, each week we've not just been talking about what it is, but also what it isn't. Because there's a lot of cloudiness about definitions or the world uh, has hijacked definitions of things. And so the first thing that we, that we need to recognize when we talk about blessed is the pure in heart for they shall see God, well, what it isn't, but sometimes what we think it is, what it isn't, it isn't a show. And so what we're looking at first here is that we need to separate from the pursuit of pursuing showiness. That's right, showiness, right? Putting on a show. I, you know, this is the idea that we pursue God, something on the outward, a show. It's a, it's a striking display aesthetically pleasing. It just looks good. And this doesn't take into account any of the chaos behind the scenes. For those of you that have ever uh, worked in any kind of production know uh, that there is a lot of hustle and bustle behind the scenes. There are a lot of things happening, but on the front you wouldn't notice. If you've ever seen The Wizard of Oz, you know the man behind the curtain was furiously pressing buttons and levers, but what was on display was something very different. This is the show. And you know what Jesus continues to talk about is our fruit or what is seen will reveal our, our root, what is really happening on the inside. Jesus is speaking to an audience who has been influenced by several groups at this point. And we've been talking about this because it's important to know the audience that Jesus was talking to. And while the names of these groups may not be as relevant to us in terms of we see them today, the behaviors of these groups still are very prevalent in today's society. Jewish groups like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Zealots, all living in this area in Israel where Jesus was talking and influencing the people of, audi of Jesus' audience. Purity was evidenced through their own strength. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they felt like if they could be in a religious system that they could be clean. You ever think that, that follow some rules, follow some laws, show up to the right places, say the right things, that you'll be purified, that you'll be clean? The Essenes, they were more monk-like in their approach. They focused on learning and living without distraction. Purity was achieved through living distraction-free. It 
just didn't interact with the world. Let me just separate myself from the world and I could be purified. You had the zealots. They were the ones that were defending God and, and forcing his hand to bring him back. They felt like if they could rid all of the enemies of Israel, that, that they would be able to bring back the Messiah uh, to come and save them. We still, uh, let's not look past history. History repeats itself if we're not paying attention to it. And that, that these are still real characteristics of people. We may not put the titles to them. But still, doing it in your own strength and seeking purity, you'll see that Jesus will speak directly to that because Jesus is interested in a pure heart. The heart understood to be a person's true self. As we talked at the very beginning of the service, Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance. Protect it. Why? Because for from it flows the springs of life. Everything starts in the heart. And Jesus is going to attack this often, particularly with the Pharisees, because of their, their major influence they had on the people. Uh, and later on in Matthew, he's going to uh, be very direct with, with the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, verse 25 and 26, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Hypocrites, right? They're actors. That was the Greek term for being an actor. They wore a mask, but inside it was something very different. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside, you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. You know, we sort of recognize this, I think. Um, all right, kids, uh, how many of you have a, a chore that you need to do the dishes? Anybody have responsibility of doing dishes in your house? All right. Come on, parents, like, you want some behavior, get some responsibility here doing the dishes. Or maybe like my house, you realize why they don't always do the dishes. The other day, I open up the dishwasher and I say to my wife, Jen, uh, these dishes clean or dirty? And she's like, well, I don't know. I told the kids to run the dishwasher, right? So you pull out, you kind of look at it, you're like, I mean, I think they look clean, right? You pull out the cereal bowl and what's inside, caked, you know, broccoli still on there. And I said, did, did you guys run this? They're like, well, I thought Ethan was going to run it. And, you know, they go down the line of who was actually going to hit the start on this thing. <laughs> right? If, it's, if it has something on the inside, is it clean? I mean, I'm not necessarily eating from that. I, I, used to, I used to work as, as a waiter at a local restaurant, and, and part of it is when it would be slower, you know, we would rotate jobs, and, and I worked as a dishwasher, and we would run them through these big industrial um, dishwashing machines, and it, it worked well most of the time, but every once in a while, I would serve a cup of coffee, I would lay the, the cup down and begin to pour, and I would see still lipstick on the inside of it, or a coffee stain, and let me just tell you, for those of you aspiring waiters, that does not help your tip when you serve a dirty cup. And Jesus was saying, you may be impressive on the outside, but if it's dirty on the inside, it, it doesn't matter what the outside looks like. He, he later goes on in the verses right after that, he calls them whitewashed tombs. This idea that you look brilliant and bright on the outside, impressive even, but what's inside of a tomb? Death, right? A, there's, they're dead inside. And Jesus wasn't satisfied with behavior, just the, the, but doing it with a pure heart. In, in Matthew 6, just in, he continues his sermon beyond this and he says things like, like he wasn't satisfied merely with just don't do adultery, but he said it starts with a heart of lust. He wasn't merely satisfied with don't murder, but that it starts with a heart of anger. And we're constantly making decisions with our behavior to avoid these consequences, but it reveals our heart. 
This happens to somebody I know often that they're driving down a highway and or any road, it's sometimes in a neighborhood as well, and they might have some places to get to, very important, they can't wait, and who is sitting along the side but a policeman? And what is our first behavior? Hit the brakes, even if we're not even sure what the speed is, just a natural reaction to that. And then you get by it, and you're kind of checking the mirror, checking the road, mirror road, mirror road, you know, and about 18 times you're like, I think they're staying put. And then what do we do as soon as we're convinced they're staying put? Back on the gas pedal again, right? Because our, our behavior will avoid some immediate consequences or we, we want to we make sure that we have a show out there, but our heart really hasn't changed. You know, your heart is who you are in secret and, and only God knows this. God knows what's really going on in your heart. And even just on the outside, something deeper could be going on on the inside, God looks at uh, the inward heart, and in 1 Samuel 16, 7, this remarkable passage where David is being anointed king after lining up all the brothers uh, that, that Samuel's looking for the next king, except for David who's out in the field, and uh, Samuel going down the line saying, well, these look like they could be kings, and what does God tell Samuel? Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. In contrast, the king right before that do you remember who the king was before David? King Saul? Well, in 1 Samuel 9, it says that Saul was a man who was taller and more handsome than all the others around. He had the outward appearance of, of what a leader should look like. And yet, if you read his story, his heart wasn't bent towards the Lord. I always uh, get a kick out of when people talk about George Washington as a history guy. You know, he's six foot four, and in, the, in that day, the average height was much shorter than the average height is now, and then he rode on a horse. He just looked like a leader when he walked into a room, when he approached the scene, because he looked like it and garnered the respect. But God is not looking at the outward. He looks on the heart. And Jesus warned against putting on a show, and and, and, and this idea that we need to separate from impressing others with this show. Because frankly, if you've done this, you know that it's draining to hide sin. It's never going to achieve the purity that we're seeking anyway by the outward behavior, hoping it changes our heart. And, and let's be honest, you may get a reward from the behavior, but it's only temporary anyway. And Jesus talks about this. In, his, in, in Matthew 6, he talks about it through praying, giving, fasting, some other kind of virtue signaling that people will notice your discipline and they'll be impressed. And he says, that's right, you will get a reward, but your reward's gonna be here on earth. And once we recognize that Jesus not only cares about our hearts, it will, that will lead to our behaviors, we need to recognize it's not just that he cares about our heart, but he cares about a pure heart, a sincere heart. Because he says, blessed are the pure in heart. And Jesus cared about our hearts being pure. And so how do we get a pure heart? Well, it's a pretty passive thing actually, but it's putting ourselves in the right place for the Lord to work on our hearts. We need to be in a posture that is honest before the Lord, a place of integrity before the Lord. And so our second thing that we're gonna see here is that we need to seek the posture of sincerity. Our posture as in anything in knowing the Lord is critical. To see God, we need a pure heart. A pure heart, a sincere heart. The idea of being sincere is, is something that it says that is genuine, it's honest, it's a heart full of integrity. I love what the 
Danish philosopher said about a century ago, Soren Kierkegaard, he said, purity of heart is to will one thing. A pure heart is a single-mindedness, a, a heart free from deceit. You know, a sincere heart is not divided, but it's single-focused. And James 4.8 talks about this. He says in, in James 4.8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This idea of being double-minded, split between what God and the world wants. A pure heart isn't doing both. It's, it's not saying uh, 80% of the time I'm going to focus on the Lord and 20% on the world or whatever that percentage is. That the pure heart, pure in heart, have their whole lives public and private, transparent before others. Now, I'm not saying behaviors change for the right environment. You know, if you're a parent, a, a teacher, uh, just in the workplace, in the home, like your behavior may change that's appropriate for it, but your heart remains the same, that you're transparent in any uh, environment that you may be in. How do we get to a place of a pure heart, a single focus? Well, what I think is so helpful is to look at how the Jews view this through their lens and then to see what Jesus was communicating. The idea of purity was essential to the Jews, that God is holy, that he's pure. There was no blemish in him, that he was set apart. And the Jews gained purity through their ceremonial cleansing. One could not be in God's presence without purity, which is still true of us. A cleanliness because of God's holiness. And Jews had many rituals to be ceremonially pure and outwardly, but they never really had the inner moral purity. And the reason was the law. You know, a person's heart was never really pure, but the sins were atoned for and they were covered over. And the, the law wasn't to make them holy, but it was to help them recognize our standard of what holiness is. Sometimes I don't always appreciate how holy God is, how much, how separate from sin he is, how much he hates sin. And I don't use that word lightly. And I don't get a recognition of the holiness of God. And so he needed to make sure that it was communicated. God still made a way for the sins to be forgiven. But just as, as an example, in, in Leviticus 16, you can, if you're intimidated by um, the, the first several books of the Bible, maybe the laws and the written out laws, you can even if, you, even, if you don't understand it all, you can still read it and say, all right, God has a high standard for what holiness is, and there's no way we can achieve it. And that should just bring you to a joy of who, of what Christ came to do. But in Leviticus, Leviticus 16, and uh, what, what's happening uh, in, in the midst of this is they've left Egypt, and they're setting up this traveling tabernacle, and on the most holy of places, what we call the Holy of Holies, inside the Holy of Holies was, does anybody remember what kids, you remember what's inside the Holy of Holies? Oh, I heard somebody, I think it was my kids because I probably cued them to this. The Ark of the Covenant, right? The place where God's presence dwelled. And to, to go into the Holy of Holies, a priest needed to do a number of things. And you could check out Leviticus 16 to see it. But uh, Aaron, the priest at the time, had to sacrifice bulls on behalf of himself, his family, the country of Israel. He had to go through steps after step to be able to be in God's presence. Even as the tabernacle moved, the expectation was still the same. To be pure, to enter into God's presence, this one person had to have the right clothes, even though down to the right underwear. 
He had to sacrifice the right animals. He had to do it in the right timing. The right time of year had to be done. All this to be in God's presence. And when he did this, the atonement was achieved. The, The covering over of sins was achieved for the people and they were temporarily pure and it cleansed them until the next time they sinned again. It cleansed the outside of the cup. Now, God wasn't mocking them, but teaching them through the law and the necessity of what purity is. And the Jews understood that the law, they understood the law, and they, they knew that they couldn't achieve atonement and purity through their own achievements. But over time, as happens, the world's definition of purity wins out over God's definition. The world said, sacrifice more to show your seriousness, and then you'll be blessed. But so many times God says, obedience is greater than the sacrifice. The Pharisees thought they were helping define what purity meant, this behavioral change, and that it would draw us closer to God. The Pharisees would add to God's law, thinking that they would provide clarity in what God was saying about purity. It was easy to assess one seriousness of God because it was obvious They believe that you would meet with God once you were clean. And what Jesus is going to say is, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. And so if you are trying to clean yourself up so that you can be in my presence, he said, that's not what it's about. Go to a posture of knowing that you're broken, a sincere heart, and then God will purify you. Purity was important to determine uh, because if you weren't pure enough by the standards of the religion, you were excluded Those with leprosy were excluded. Those uh, that had uh, committed obvious sins were excluded. And the Pharisees and the scribes were, they were the law enforcers of these things. And yet I know that we have these same tendencies as well. But what's amazing is the same God came to fulfill this law. Jesus' sacrifice would prepare the way for inward and not just ceremonial purity. We see, we see that there's a coming of a Savior throughout the, the whole Scriptures. All of it is, is saying this need for redemption. Hebrews 9 is an amazing passage that ties in with what Leviticus 16 was talking about. And, and it says in Hebrews 9, it says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, right? Not this man-made tabernacle. He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish, he was perfect to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And therefore he is the mediator, the bridge to the new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions or the sins committed under the first covenant. Man, what power that is that Jesus came and served as his high priest and the sacrifice so that we weren't bound by the law anymore. It says at the end of that chapter that Christ came 
to bear the sins once and for all. You know, when we are saved, our hearts are cleansed of sin. They're, they are pure hearts. Because Adam, in the, when created, had the ability to, to not sin until Genesis 3. Man then born with a sinful heart from then on. And after Adam sinned, man no longer had the ability to not sin. We were all sinners. But through the redemption that's talked about here, through Christ and those under the covenant, we now have the ability again to not sin through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus wasn't talking about a ceremonial purity from the outside, but a moral purity on the inside. And we need to recognize our constant need for a Savior, to not try to cover it up with the show. You know, the insincere in heart have an incredibly difficult time worshiping God and enjoying sin. Let me just say that again, that the insincere in heart have an incredibly difficult time worshiping God and enjoying sin. Our sin affects our enjoyment of Christ. Yet, I settle for taping the fake fruit on the tree, ignoring the root sometimes of a pure heart. I, I still can be deceived that doing something will make God proud of me or impress others. And when I feel good about that, then I believe that my heart will change in some way. But this is not what he's talking about. A pure heart is focused on the love of Christ and letting the inward reality come forth in love towards others. You know, without love, our behaviors, as 1 Corinthians says, is like a clanging cymbal. You guys know what a clanging cymbal just up here banging away? It's obnoxious, right? The, the generosity and personal sacrifices, if you are creating social program or have really clean theological categories, these can be good things, but it won't produce a pure heart. These are the result of a purified heart. And without the love of Christ fueling it, it it's just fake fruit that's being seen. Christ purifies us. It's, it's not just defined as merely stop sinning, as people would say. In 1 John 1, 9, it says that if we confess our sins, which we do at first at the time of salvation, but continue to confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus cleanses at salvation, and the sin in our life doesn't jeopardize our salvation. A pure heart is eager then to rid itself of any guilt and shame, and so a continual need to confess to remain pure. But are you, am I recognizing the sin in our lives? And when do you do, what do you do with it? We can look at an example of the, of the kings of old, of the kings of Israel and Judah. There was good kings and bad kings, to put it simply. The, the, the good kings are the ones who destroyed the idols in their life. They would pound it down to powder. The, the bad kings, as they would say, the ones that weren't obedient to God, they would, they would either keep the idols or some would deceive themselves and think they could just put it in a closet. Well, I don't see the idols, so it's not really a problem anymore. But what would happen is they would access it if God wasn't answering in their timing or in the way that they would want to say, well, that didn't work out, and so I'm going to go to my, run to my idol again. And so many times we purify ourselves outwardly when we sin. We try to 
hide it or cover it up or find some atonement with the hopes of starting our purity again. How many times have we done this, that we've been able to say, God, I'm so sorry, so let me make it up to you. Let me do some things. And sometimes there are behaviors to move away from, but these are behaviors in the power of Christ. Are you one who views pornography and then deletes the app thinking, I'll be purified again. I've got it out of my life. Do you give money or things away to feel better about yourself? Do you come to church hoping that it will purify you? You know, stopping our problems, our struggles won't give us purity. Jesus can only purify. Humility, repentance purifies. Simple on paper to say, but difficult to bend the knee sometimes. But he's waiting there for us. You know, putting things in our heart that moves towards we need to put things in our hearts that move us towards Jesus, a focus on him. We need to sit in a posture that shows we have a single focus. It, it, it sounds easy uh, to have a single focus, but even in a world, I can think about my world right now when I should be able to have a single focus with a calendar that's pretty clear right now, and yet my mind has a hard time focusing on just a single thing. God didn't make this, the next steps hard to be in his word to be praying I was so encouraged. I was talking to a teenager the other day and I was talking about their summer job and I said, how's your summer job going? And like a lot of teenagers, they responded, boring, right? You know, but they're working hard. They're doing 40 hours a week at this job and, and uh, they were saying it's boring. And I said, well, what do you do to pass the time? And they said, well, you know, I just listen to some podcasts and listen to sermons. And I was like, oh, you listen to sermons, huh? And uh, I just, you know, it just hit me that even taking advantage of something like that can be, can be continuing to put our focus on the Lord, even when it's boring. Anything that isn't focused on Jesus won't purify us. You know, we, we can put ourselves in the posture of an undivided heart, and God begins to purify. David reminds us where a pure heart comes from. In Psalm 24, verse 34, or verse 3 and 4, he says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in the holy place? How do we get in God's presence? He who has a clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. To be in God's presence, we're not double-minded or lift our souls to what is false. To be in God's presence is to have a pure heart, means a single focus, focused on him, or as it was said, to will one thing. And when our hearts are pure, we see differently because we don't have the filters in front of us. You know, I think back to when my vision changed on how I viewed history. It was in college. I, was, I, had a, I have a history major, and, and uh, one, at one point in one lecture, a sentence was uttered that, uh, that I had heard since elementary school. And uh, the lecture was going on, and, and, and at one point he said, well, when Columbus discovered America, and I, I just paused, I was like, hold on, you mean, and it just hit me, I was like, you mean for the Europeans, right? And, you know, thinking, there's already people here, how do you discover something when people are already here? And he says, well, you, you know what I mean. But it was in that instant that I said, all these years I've been viewing history through a single lens. And, and what I need to recognize is just because my lens, I've seen it, 
and it makes sense in my head doesn't mean it's necessarily right. And sometimes I need to change my view to be able to see. And I was able to see history on a different lens from different perspectives. And sometimes we need to recognize that when we say that we will see God, that it's not seeing God the way that we expect it to be. But here's the awesome thing about it is that the blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. We will get to see God and we can sit in the promise of seeing God. Our third point there that we can sit in the promise of seeing God. Well, you ask yourself, what I was doing as I was wrestling through this is a, is a pure heart worth it? Because a pure heart will see God. Sometimes I say, I'll never achieve that. And again, what am I saying? I'll never achieve the outside. But he says there that you'll be able to see God. As a believer, we can see God because our hearts are purified at the time of salvation. But without a pure heart, our vision just may be a little blurry. You may not be able to see exactly what God is doing or, or the way he's directing us. You may be asking things like, is God even around? Is, I'm having a faith crisis. Is he even at work? We may not have clarity of what's going on, but it's still a promise that we will be able to see God at J.D. Greer says that purity leads to clarity. Of course, it's not seeing God physically in his holiness. As Moses discovered in Exodus 33, he says, God, let me see you. And he says, you can't see me. I'm going to walk by you. You're going to see just the afterburn of my light, of my glory. He says, if you see me, you will die. I love the scene in, in Isaiah 6 that these angels, Isaiah is observing these angels who are holy because they're in heaven, but they're worshiping God and they can't even look at God. They're, they have multiple wings and one set of wings is covering their eyes and they're saying holy is not enough to describe God, but holy, holy, holy is the way they describe him. And so in heaven we will be able to see God or at least see the Son as a reflection of the Father. But here's something amazing is we don't have to wait until we die to see God, a, a pure heart will, on earth will be able to see God. You, you remember the, the Pharisees in Matthew 23 uh, when he said uh, that they had a, a, they're dirty on the inside and he called them you blind Pharisees. They couldn't see because their hearts weren't pure. The Jews believed if you did the, the right system, you would be able to see God and, and they were wrong. And for those who are frustrated or disappointed that, that, that you aren't seeing God, maybe you've said that, God, where are you? I, I don't see you. Let me, let me remind us that sometimes our definition of seeing God isn't what we always think it is. Seeing God means the privilege of seeing God at work in his glory, being in awe of him, whether it's creation whether it's nature, whether it's relationships, whether it's just those crazy situations that the world says, that's a weird coincidence. Those are things that we can see God at work and we can be in awe of God. When you have Christ in your heart, you can see him at work. John Piper says it's being admitted into his presence. We can see God, right? This is the kind of seeing God that when my wife was about ready to deliver, deliver our first child, it wasn't like I rolled her in, in in the wheelchair and I said, I need to see a doctor. And a doctor pops out from behind the corner and says, hey, you see me? And then he goes away. No, it means I want to be admitted into his presence. I want him to do the work that he does. And that's what seeing God is. I want to be in his presence. And so we can see God. And so many times God is working outside of our immediate circumstances, 
And we can see that. We can see God building his church as he promises, see, saving lost people, restoring relationships and fulfilling promises. A pure heart and seeing God is not the end of all persecution and struggles or injustices on earth. Just because we have a pure heart doesn't mean that all those things are going to, that we're, in fact, this is the crazy thing. The pure our heart is, we're probably going to see injustices and persecution and struggle even clearer that's happening in the world because we're seeing it through the lens that God wants us to be seeing it. You know, God doesn't change who he is, but when we have a pure heart, we see him clear. It's like the eye doctor. If those of you that have the contacts and glasses, they keep clicking and the vision gets clear. As long as we're allowing impurities in our life, our ability to God will be greatly inhibited. God is not moving away from us. We continue to put things in front of him. So do you have something in your heart, some past lie that has clouded your vision? Is there some impurity in your heart maybe that has been clouding your vision and unforgiveness and anger, hurt that has given you the wrong vision of God? It's hard maybe to see God and his promises that he has. Maybe you look at the scriptures, it's hard to see that. But seeing God is not always when and how we expect. We sometimes believe we can tell God when and how to reveal himself. And sometimes I hear this uh, often that, that people are, feel like they're living in a desert, but you can still see God. And just because you may have depression, you may be struggling with chronic physical struggles, constant trials on you, you can still see God. In fact, sometimes you can see God clearer than those that live in the comforts because of the impurities that come along with living in comfort. Some of us saw God at the time of salvation or just different spiritual high seasons, and we haven't in a while. Maybe he's just been blurry. But God gives us a promise that as we sit in this posture and letting him purify our hearts, that we can see him. We can trust in that promise. If you're ever in a, a season where you may be uh, struggling with your faith. One thing that I could commend to you is to read about the church martyrs and those that are persecuted around the world. There's some amazingly powerful stories that I don't always appreciate and grasp. Um, you, you read those that have died for the faith and those that are currently struggling with the faith uh, in terms of churches and, and, and evangelism. It inspires me to, to remember and put me in my place. And in one story in particular that um, stands out to me that just still I just I think about often is um, there's a, a man who's, who's still alive, Brother Yun from China in, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. He was a guy uh, who um, faced a lot of persecution. He was one of the original church planters in China. Before the 1970s, there was virtually no churches in China. And he would have scraps of scripture that he would just memorize as he would find them or as the Bibles would be taken and just scraps of it. And, and his love for God just grew. And yet as his love for God grew and as he continued from an overflow of evangelism and church planting, persecution came. Multiple imprisonments came. Sentences longer than it should have. And yet he remained pure in heart. 
and two things stood out to me as I read his, his biography, is that he would say, as he would journal, or as he, as he had opportunities to journal, or as he would take interviews later on, he said, I'm so thankful that God had me in prison at those times. He's like, I would get beaten unjustly, and yet what bothered me most is that I had anger in my heart towards the person who was my, my jailer. He said, thank you, God, for helping me work out my anger. That's a situation you say, how can I see God in a desperate place? But he asked God to say, even in those situations, I can see you. I can see you working in my heart that I still had work to be done in my heart. He also saw it as an opportunity to see God in his suffering, that he will suffer with Christ. In fact, he said this, don't pray for the persecution to stop. We shouldn't pray for a lighter load to carry, but a stronger back to endure. Then the world will see that God is with us, empowering us to live in a way that reflects his love and power. You know, we can see God in his work, and it may not be in the setting or in the way that we planned, but he does promise this. But we can't see him through the sacrifices or the religious systems, but only through a pure heart, through this obedience that is greater than sacrifice. We can stand in God's holy place with a pure heart to will one thing, focused on a God who saves us and is saving lives every day. You know, I, I'm challenged to be part of the generation that desires clean hands and a pure heart. Not once the pandemic season is over, not once all racial injustices of the world are solved, not when this election season is over, that we can be that generation that desires a pure heart and clean hands today so that we can see God at work. And if you're saved, man, you have access to the Father now. He is there. He hasn't moved away, even if you feel like he's moved away over years of putting things in front of him. And you can't remove them anyway. It's just asking him to be there to remove it. And if you've never had that relationship with Christ, we just challenge you today with this promise that, that Jesus had said that the pure in heart, that you can't achieve it on your own, but that by humility and repentance, by bowing your knee before Christ, that he is there, he is waiting, and he came to save, to seek and save the lost. He doesn't save the healthy, he saves the sick. And it's just maybe a recognition of that today. You don't need to clean yourself up first. God wants to be seen. He wants to be truly known. We must keep a pure heart as our focus. And how do we do that? Let's try to separate ourselves from the world. Let's recognize what the show that we're putting on out there. Let's seek a posture of sincerity so Jesus can do his work of purifying our hearts. He purifies at the time of salvation and continues to do that. And let's just sit in this very explicit promise that we will see God not just someday, but that we can see him at work and we can rest in his grace today. Let me pray for us. Father, Fathers, we pray to you. You are the God who is near to us. God, help us today to recognize that a pure heart is what brings us the inner joy and satisfaction. God, but that purity of heart doesn't come through anything we can achieve on our own. God, those things on the outward can be done, but it's only through the inner heart. And so let us do some heart work today, God. The way we have access to you is by coming in a humble posture. Lord, let us 
be able to come to you, recognizing that you're a holy God, you're a pure God. But God, you desire for us to live a, a life that is focused on you, worshiping you. And I just love the idea that we're enjoying you because you came to give us abundant life. So Father, today as we come before you, let the Holy Spirit at work, God. If there's convictions that need to be dealt with, God, I pray that we can do that today. For God, those that have never even maybe bent their knee one time to you to even start a relationship with you, God, I pray that even today it can just be the next question that's asked to you, God. God, we love you. We thank you for just your continual presence in our life, the promises that you have and never failing in those things, God. We pray that we're the generation that can seek after you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.